right. Man, isn't that good? That was good. I love it. The Lord has so richly blessed us here at the well. Praise his holy name. All right, so we're going to continue on in Revelation this morning. I'm excited about it. Covered three verses last week all at one time. That's good. That's good. I tell you, I've, I've, I've been listening to and reading over several series on Revelation. A lot of people take three Sundays to do uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. So uh, I feel like I did pretty good. I covered a pretty good bit. So it's not always best to cover a, a lot of ground, but I figured that uh, we needed to cover 1, 2, 3, and 1 because it was a prologue. And today we're only going to do two verses, but these are two theologically and worshipfully packed verses that we really can't do more than two. If we bleed on into verse 6, uh, then that'll be fine too. It kind of flows with that thought. But today we're going to look at uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And we're going to see uh, the implications of who uh, John is writing to and why he's writing to them and uh, the foundation of how they should hear it. So who he's writing to, what he's writing them, and the foundation of how they, they should hear it. How they should receive it. Because if you get a letter from someone, that letter is inevitably, it's, it's, it, it will carry a certain amount of weight. It will carry a certain amount of urgency. It will carry a certain amount of power with you. As a matter of fact, you may get letters from some people that are in the envelope. You read the name on the envelope and you'll be like, I'll read that later. Right? But now you may get a letter from someone and it has a name on the envelope and you just start ripping that thing open because you want to see who it's from, right? Or you want to see what that person has to say. If they are a, a person that's really important to you or they're a person with a lot of power or better yet, if it's a person with a lot of money. You know, if you get, those of you who, you, you do the, what, what's the thing, the, the um, publisher's clearing house thing, you know? What was that guy that always just come to the door? Those aren't on anymore that I see. What was that guy's name? Ed McMahon. You get a letter from Ed McMahon? I got to see what's in this. You want to see what this is, right? You want to see how much money you get. A, if, you, if it's tax season and you've done your taxes and you're looking for a return, when that letter comes, it's got our IRS. All you see is IRS. <laughs> But before you got your taxes done, you get a letter from the IRS, you'd be like, I'll read that later. <laughs> right? So who the letter's from and, and, and what power the, the person writing or sending the letter carries will determine how eager we are to read it and how eager and how quick we are to put in place whatever it says. So if you get a check from Ed McMahon and it says, You've hit for $10,000, but this check is only good for three days. Guess who's going to the bank in 30 minutes? Scratch that. It's only if it's 30 minutes away, right? Because however your little legs will run to carry you to the bank, you're going to be there, right? It's in a sense of urgency. You're ready to go. So this morning, as we have looked at the prologue and we looked at some of the foundational understandings of how we should understand the letter... 
Now we get to the salutation or we get to this, um, th- th- this greeting in verses 4 and 5. And we're going to see uh, who the letter's to and who the letter's from. And when we see not just who it's from, like, oh, it's from Jane Doe or John Smith or whoever, but, but it gives a description of the person who it's from and it gives some implications of what that person stands for, uh, uh, some implications of who that person is, not just name or designation, but, but some realities, some truths about that person. And so if you got a letter addressed from you from the President of the United States who has the power to throw you in jail or to make you rich and famous, you're going to pay attention because it says something about the person writing you that letter. So as we all stand to our feet, as we read the Word of God in reverence to the reading of God's Word, Let's read Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, Now John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the king's on earth. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. So we get here uh, who the letter is to and who the letter is from and a little bit of a reality check or a little bit of information about who it's from. So let's start out with who the letter is to. Now this is very, this is very common and everybody wants to say, oh, I cannot understand Revelation. I can't get it. It's so confusing to me. It it causes more harm than good, so I just don't even read it. And as we talked about last week, is that the intention of the book? No, it's not. As a matter of fact, what is the very opposite of the the, the meaning of the book or the, 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 the purpose of the book is the very opposite of that, right? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It is the, the opening up or the uncovering. It is the revelation. It's revealing something to you. So it's not meant to be shrouded in mystery. Now, it would if you're not familiar with the Old Testament and if you're not willing to study and read the Word of God. If revelation is absolutely um, a foreign language to you, then you really need to ask yourself, how much Old Testament knowledge do I have? How much have I been reading my scriptures? How willing am I to open up a commentary and learn the language and and learn the context of what's being written? It's not a problem with the word. It's a problem with the reader. Because Revelation has never, it was never meant to shroud anything in mystery. It was meant to reveal So as we get into verses 4 and 5, we see a very common in that day, a greeting. Uh, We see a very common uh, way to address a letter. In our day, how do we write letters? We write letters uh, with the name at the top, then a comma. We write the body of the letter and then uh, who it's from at the very end. Uh, Not in this day, it was very commonplace in most all the letters that was written in this day to have who it's from and who it's to right in the greeting right away and uh, where it's going and what it's for. So right here we see in verse 4 it says, 
John to the seven churches that are in Asia. So we see exactly who this letter is written to and who it's coming from. And we know from last week that this was a message that was given to Jesus Christ that he gave to an angel, that the angel gave to John for the revealing of who God is and to make him aware of just who Jesus Christ is. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning that it comes from him. And it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning that it shows who he is. So it's from him about him. Isn't that awesome? So we know that revelation is all about Jesus. It's to him and from him and about him. It all centers on Jesus Christ. This is a phenomenal book that helps us to see who Jesus is, what he's doing, what he has done, and what he's going to do in the future which is near. Two times in the first section in verses 1 through 3, it says the things that must soon take place in verse 1. And then in verse 3, at the end, it says to keep uh, and who keep what is written for the time is near. Now, that's going to be very important when I get into this, this greeting right here that I'm going to come back to and kind of talk about that because it matters because what you do with a letter and how you implement the implications of that letter into your life will be much determined by who's writing the letter and what they're calling you to do and how quickly they're calling you to do it or how they're calling you to do it, okay? So he says here, he says, John to the churches in Asia. So who is the letter from? John. It's, it's from Christ, but to John, to the churches. We know that John's the one writing the letter. Now, he doesn't say, uh, he doesn't designate which John this is, but almost virtually all commentators and all theologians agree that this is John, the beloved apostle, that he was well known in Ephesus. That's where he resided before he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. That's where he was. He was involved in those churches. He was an, an elder there. He was an apostle. And so this is uh, by almost every um, every theologian agrees that this is the, uh, the Apostle John, the beloved disciple, the one who reclined up on Jesus, who was leaned back on Jesus. I love that picture uh, at the Last Supper when, when uh, Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And even Peter, who uh, was, was so uh, involved and, and, and intricate in the Lord's uh, friendships and in his circles, we know that he was in the inner circle. He was on the the Mount of Transfiguration, we know that even Peter looked over to John who was leaning back up against, against Jesus and says, Hey, John, ask him who it is. So we know that John has this intimate bond with Jesus. And, and I would, I would, I would uh, go so far as to say, in my opinion, that John and Jesus had this really special connection. Now, this is free, no extra charges, Hambone would say, but, but you just know this, you can't get that close to too many people. I have been, I think one of the, no, I'll say the primary uh, backlash or the primary uh, problem that people have with me and have, and have had with our church is that I'm not able to personally go after every single person here. I'm not able to personally meet with every single one of you. Uh, the truth be told, that there's just not enough hours in the day. There is, it is an impossibility. So I've been, I, I've been attacked because of that, and I've, been, I've, been, I've received some, 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 some issues because of that. And, and I understand that, because everybody wants a relationship with their pastor. Everybody wants a relationship with the guy that they feel like is teaching or preaching, and I wish I could. 
But the truth is that even Jesus Christ had those he was closer to, some that he was pretty close to. So the inner circle went like this. He had, in my opinion, he had John, his one confidant. Okay. Then he had James and Peter, which was the inner circle of three. And then he had the 12 disciples. And then he had the 72. And then he had the 100 and so on and so forth. And it keeps on going and going. Now, do you think that he had the same relationship with Peter even than he did with John? No. He, I mean, John was the one that was leaned back up on him. You know, like, like me and some of these guys in here, we have a closer bond than me and other of you guys in here. It's not because I don't like you or anything. It's just because that's the way it unfolds. And God has people in your life that are closer. And you don't need to get offended because of that. As a matter of fact, you need to find those who God has placed in your life to be close to you and pour into them. One of the most one of the most insulting things I've ever seen in my life, and I won't go into too much detail because, because it's none of your business, <laughs> is that I knew of this guy that, that wanted a relationship with me and couldn't get one, and so he got upset. But he had a relationship with another guy in the church that, that was really close, and the guy was taking time to pour into him. And I just thought, you know, not only is that insulting to me, but it's insulting to the people that are close to you and that God has put in your life and God has called to be close to you. And I can't take the time to be personally close to you because I've got, I've got four kids. I've got a wife. I've got the, the people who are in my inner circle that God's called me to pour into. So you need to be happy with who God's put in your life and called to be close to you and pour into them and them into you. Don't be selfish and think that, that the main guy or the guy out front that has... Uh, that, that everybody sees has got to be a pay attention to you. It's not about you. It's not. And it's not about me. There's some of you in, in here that don't got time for me. That's okay. That's okay. One day we'll have all of eternity. All right? You come talk to me then, okay? I don't know what else to say. But Jesus had John, his beloved disciple, and the reason I take a little time to work on that relationship and to bring that out is that John is writing from a special place. John is writing from a special place. Now, I am glad to tell you that at this point in Jesus' ministry, he was the incarnate God that had come down out of heaven. He was in every way equal to God, but he considered equality something not to be grasped. So he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, even the, the form of one that would, would, would give his life up, the, a bondservant. And he came down, and in that limitation of himself... He could only have these relationships to a certain degree while he was here on earth. But once he uh, died on the cross and, and descended into the grave and then ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit so that he could be one with every single one of us. So that we could all have the same relationship that John had with Jesus to the nth degree. So Jesus is not like me. He is not uh, spatial temporal. He's, he, he can be in all places at one time. So what I'm telling you is, is that as John writes, know that you can have the same relationship with Christ and even greater that John had. And this should have implications in your life because it should affect you to know that Jesus is going to be closer than a brother. That Jesus Christ is closer than any other. And that he knows all of your weaknesses. He knows all of your sins. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, while John writes, you understand that and you understand that you are in the same place 
place that John is and that the fact that Christ is king and everything that John saw should have the same effect in your life as you move through it. Okay? That's setting up how we should understand this. Now, this is John writing, and he was the beloved disciple. And, and John, though he was the beloved disciple, did he escape tribulation? Absolutely not. Where is he writing from? The island of Patmos. He had been exiled for his faith and dedication to Jesus Christ. So just because you love Christ, just because you have a relationship with him, doesn't mean you're going to escape tribulation. It doesn't mean you're going to escape trial. It doesn't mean you're going to escape pain. As a matter of fact, the reason that he's on the island of Patmos is what? His relationship to Jesus. He was there because of Jesus. So all of you who, and me too, we say, well, I go to church. I give my tithe. I spend my time. Why did you do this to me, God? Well, because you go to church and because you pay your tithe. And because, whoa, 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 huh? Huh? It's because that your life of loving me is proving me and the world is going to hate you because of it. But you're storing up riches in heaven. So this is what we're getting to, right? This is what he's going to tell John about. So he says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, let's move on from John. There's a lot more that can be said about John. But what I want you to grab in just the word John. Now, we spent about 20 minutes preaching on the word John. Is that you have the same, you have potentially the same relationship with Christ that John has. And so what John is going to write, you can accept freely because you know who Jesus is and he's going to carry you the same way. And remember that John was the one that he's always writing in 1 John in the beginning of Revelation. What I have seen, what I have touched, what I have, well he didn't say smell, but we're going to say smell. What I have sensed, what has been real in my life, I now proclaim to you that my joy may be made complete so this disciple who's who's writing this letter to me and to you and we're going to get it we're going to get that in just a second he's saying look brother look jake i'm writing this to you and it's real it's real and i'm suffering persecution and i'm making it through because of who jesus is and i'm telling you you can too you can too so this is john here you, you got that John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, were there seven churches in Asia and that's all of them? No, there were a lot more churches in Asia Minor. This is Asia Minor, what is present-day Turkey. This is, this is the, being the Middle East. This is, this is a pretty big area, pretty big territory. Ephesus was there. Several other churches were there. Several cities were there. Several trade routes and several port cities. And, and this, was a, this was a big area. So there was lots of churches there. Not just seven, but, but here he identifies seven specific churches. Now, I want to pull out a few things on the seven. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, we know that there are more than seven churches in Asia. So why did he write to seven churches? A couple of things here. Number one, I think that numbers throughout the Bible, especially in Revelation, have significance. So all the way throughout the Bible, all the way throughout Revelation, you're going to see numbers of significance. Number, number three, number four, number five, number seven, uh, 24, 12, all kind of numbers with all kind of significance in this book, okay? But for the purpose of, the, of today, the number seven, you need to understand all the way throughout Scripture is the number of completeness, a number of wholeness, a number of fullness, 
So there was seven days of creation. God looked at it all, said, we good, let's shut her down. Okay? So he rested on the seventh day. Seven is the number of completeness. Seven is the number of wholeness, of fullness. It's filled up full. There's no room for nothing else. It's done. It is finished. And so seven is the number of fullness. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. So John to the seven churches that are in Asia is writing. Now, that was number one. Seven is the number of fullness. And you're going to see lots of sevens. As a matter of fact, I wrote some of them down here. You have seven in this book of Revelation. You have seven churches, seven letters, seven spirits, seven lampstands, seven stars, seven seals, horns, eyes, angels, trumpets, thunders, thousands of people, uh, heads, crowns, plagues, golden bowls, hills, kings, lots of different sevens. And all of these are completeness or fullness. So here we have the seven churches. So that's number one. It's the, it's a, what he's saying here is that this is a full representation of every church. So it's not just to these seven churches. It is. But it's a full representation. When he writes this, he's writing to all the churches. This is a full and good and accurate depiction and representation of every church. It's a full representation. Number two is, is that he really is writing to seven specific churches. As a matter of fact, he is going to break it down. He's going to have seven messages, each addressed to each individual church. And in those messages, now I want you to go and read this. You should be reading ahead of me. Uh, Revelation is a very short book, you know, based, you know, kind of looking at it through all the other books. It's not that long of a book. You can read it or you can listen to it even on the YouVersion app. You can listen to the whole book of Revelation in about an hour and a half, two hours, the whole book all the way through. If you read it, depending on how fast you read, you can read it quicker or slower than that. But all the way throughout the book, or in the next uh, three chapters, he is going to address specific churches. And each one of those churches, he is going to give a description of who Jesus Christ is. He's going to address the church, give a description of who Jesus Christ is, and then he's going to say, these things about you I know, or this is what I know about you, and he's going to give a description of who they are. Some of the churches have issues, and they have good. So they have good, and they have bad. Some of the churches only have bad and negative things that he addresses. Some of the churches only have good things that he addresses. But the point of the story is, the point of this greeting is, is that this is to the full and complete representation, so it goes to all the churches, and it's written to specific, seven specific individual churches. Now, I don't have a ton of time to spend a, a whole lot of time on that, but I want to say just a few things about the implications made to the local church in this. Because what I've seen lately and what I've seen over the past several years, and I think our culture is headed this way in general, is that we as a culture, especially American culture, and as a people, as the younger generation, my generation, and the next generation coming along, the millennials, we have lost sight of being loyal to, being loyal to a local church body. There are several different reasons for that, but I think one of the most and most influential reasons and the, and the highest impact reasons, one of them, is that we just have a problem with authority. We don't want anybody be, being over us, telling us how we are to do what we are to do, why we should do what we should do, when we should do what we should do. So we've rebelled against the local church. Well, they're not going to tell me when to do what to do. I am my own man. And in some regards, uh, 
we have rightfully pulled back a little bit from the authority uh, that has been placed over us because a lot of the authority that's been placed over people by the local church was done in an unbiblical way. It was done in a way that 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 harshly governs or that that demeaningly governs or the Catholic Church is a prime example. Maybe there's some in here that have come out of the Catholic Church, don't know. But the Catholic Church wants to to super organize everything and, and, and micromanage everything and they want to say you can't read the Bible, so we're going to read it for you and, and you've got to do these things that we can't find in the Bible, but the, so on and so forth. We're not going to get into that today, but the, but the bottom line is, is that they, they, over, they, they think they have more authority than they should have. So we've reacted to that, and we've said we've created this whole section or this whole type of people now that say, well, it's just me, Jesus, and the Bible. And we have no respect for church authority. But Paul teaches us very clearly that the church is the pillar uh, of, of the gospel. It's the, it's the pillar of everything. That, that, that the church is the local organization that God has placed in, uh, in position to govern and to send and to help us to know how to build the kingdom. But we've totally lost sight of that. And so we've pulled out and we want to be who we want to be. And when somebody tries to exercise authority over us, we, we rebel. We run, right? We just, well, I'll go find another church. I don't have to listen to you. I, there's 30 other churches around here. That's a personal issue. What we see here is that there are legitimate local congregations in certain cities, in different cities, that John recognizes as churches that people belong to, and he's writing to who? We'll get into this, but I'm going to go ahead and jump forward a little bit. He's writing to the leaders of those churches on how to address the issues in the churches. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Obey your leaders, for they are keeping watch over your souls, and you should not make it problematic, but you should make it a joy for your leaders. There shouldn't be anybody in here that should make my job harder, but you should come and you should ask me, how can I make your life easier? Same with Mark and same with Hambone, same with those leaders in here. So many church members, they think it's all about them and they just make life more difficult. And while we could be spending time in the Word of God, we're having to spend time placating and, and, and pampering child, children who, who think that, that the world revolves around them. And if you just got your feelings hurt, then I'm probably talking about you. But we see that there are local congregations. I'm not going to say much more. I'm not going to say any more about that. But there are local congregations that, that, that these letters are written to. It's written to their leaders so that they can address issues. Now, we know that this is from John to the churches. Ultimately, it's from Christ. So the relationship that John has with Jesus should affect how we read these things. So it's from John to the seven churches. The seven is the number of fullness and wholeness. So we know that these churches represent the full number of all the churches. Now, I want to I evidence that just a little bit further by going and reading just a few places here. Now, in, in chapter 2, it starts the letters or the messages to the specific churches. He's going to do a message to each church through chapter 2 and chapter 3, and I won't read every one of them, but in every letter, every message, he says something to this effect. Uh, you can see it in chapter 2, verse 7, to the church at Ephesus. He says, after he writes all these things, he says, 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, he says that in every single message. In all seven letters to each individual church, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. He is talking about all churches need to hear this, they need to understand this, and they need to apply it to themselves accordingly. Now, what does that say to us? What does it say to us that we should hear it, that church is important, that as we go through the letter to the Ephesians or the letter to the Laodiceans or the letter to Thyatira or or whichever church it is, we need to read that letter and we need to examine ourselves to see, God, are we doing the good things that are outlined in that letter? Are we doing the bad things that are outlined in that letter? And, And is Jesus Christ effectively reaching and changing us like he says that they need to be changed? Is he having an effect on our church? Is our church of the understanding that Christ is king, that he has called us to a certain level of righteousness and holiness, and that we need to repent when we get to a place we should not be? Is our church so sold out to the traditions that we've developed that we cannot see the problems that plague us? And are we willing? When they present themselves to make the necessary changes based on the word of God and the call of Jesus Christ to be who he's called us to be. We need to examine ourselves, church, that we might be who God's called us to be. Because, see, this isn't me up here making decisions for y'all, but it's us understanding and grasping the word of God and then asking the Lord Jesus Christ to reveal to us who we need to be and what changes we need to make. We need to make. Why? That he might be glorified more. That he might get more praise. That he might get more honor. And that his kingdom would grow more quickly and more fervently and with greater passion. So let's move on now from these seven churches. So John to the seven churches that are in Asia he says here, he starts this, this, uh, uh, this, this greeting, he starts it with grace to you and peace from him. Grace to you and peace from him. Now, this is a rather ordinary uh, greeting uh, to, with most of Paul's letters, uh, but I don't, want it to, uh, I don't want it to lose any significance because it may be ordinary because I don't believe that there's any word in the Word of God that is meaningless or should be glossed over without taking a moment to look at it and see what does this mean, what does this have for me. So the word grace here and peace is this, it's spoken. I think that the word grace and the word peace would would lose some meaning if we don't understand the context of what John is saying, where he is and and what what he's saying and, and the situation that he's in when he's saying it. You need to understand that John had been exiled. He was an old man by now. He was an old man. His glory days may be long gone. He was an old man. I imagine John to be fairly decrepit. He had probably received several beatings and, and, and several floggings. Maybe this is just guesswork from me. But I know that he loved Jesus very much. He was there when Jesus Christ had gone through all of these trials and, and all of these problems. And he never left his side. He loved him. So I can imagine in this day and age that John probably received several lashings. He had been through hell, so to speak. And now he's here on the island of Patmos. He'd been exiled 
away from everything that he knew and everything that he held dear to him. And here he is saying, grace and peace to you. What type of trial are you going through and how are you going through it? How are you suffering? You know, we want to escape suffering every chance that we get. But the Bible tells me that your suffering is the greatest opportunity for your proclamation of the gospel. Those of you who are in rough marriages, praise the Lord. Consider it all joy when we encounter various trials and tribulations. Why? Because it produces perseverance. When somebody looks at you and says, man, your wife's so mean, how do you do it? You say, Jesus. <laughs> Glory to God. Some of, some of you wives, you say, how do you live with that buffoon? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus carries me through this storm. <laughs> Now, don't go home and tell your wife that. I'm thankful for Jesus in our relationship because I left you a long time ago. But Jesus Christ gives us grace and he gives us peace even in the midst of the storm, right? Even in the midst of trial. We think that our trials are bad, but here John is, uh, that, that he's in the middle of this this, this this ridiculous persecution where he's been exiled to this place where lepers and, and, and you know, the speculation in the commentaries read lepers and exiles and people with decrepit diseases. But here he is preaching the gospel. Maybe God put you in that situation just so you could be the light that you couldn't be unless you was in that darkness. You know, I've had some flashlights that the batteries are fairly dim on them. And when they're in the the room with the light on, they're like, does these things even work? You, got, you know what I got to do in order to find out if the flashlight works? I got to cut the light out. And then it looks fairly bright. Well, John says, grace to you and peace from him. Now, he says this grace to you. And if I'm a reader and I'm reading this, I'm like, grace and peace. This, this guy's trying to be super spiritual. Because nobody can be happy in this, right? Some of you husbands are like, that's what I thought when you said that about the wife. You know, nobody can be happy in this. But, but what is the foundation of his happiness? What is the foundation? Let's not say happiness, okay? Because happy is a, a stupid idea. It's American concept. Like, you're happy when you go race golf carts, okay? You're happy when you go, when you go play paintball, right? You know, life is just, it's not about happiness. Now, let's use joy. Let's use joy because joy sustains us through the sorrows. You know, you ever been around those chipper people who are happy all the time? Stupid people. Just, just get away from me with that junk. You know, come back when you, when you experience life. No, no, no. I, I'm glad for those people. They, they make me realize just how, no, never mind. It's not about being happy. It's about joy. And joy sustains us through the hard times. It sustains us through, through the trials and through the tribulation. Joy. And that's what, and isn't it amazing? That that's what uh, John said he was doing all this for. He says, I write the things I've seen, the things i heard, the things I've, I've touched. I write that my joy may be made complete. Right? And Jesus Christ says, I come that you might have joy, that, that it might be, that you might have life, and that, that it might be filled up to abundance. And you might have joy, this fullness, joy on top of joy. Is it meaning happy? Like, like, would you consider one of Jesus' followers just walking around like this all the time? No. You would, well, what are you doing? Right? If John, who, who, who had been, received all kind of persecution, do you think when he was writing this about grace and peace and, and this, this joy that they heard, that like they heard him like he probably was missing some teeth and had a scar and he was like, you know, if he was he writing this with a big smile on his face? Maybe not. Maybe so. 
He's probably Looney Tune by now, you know. But, but I see this as this grace and peace that, that, look, you are in a trial, you are in a tribulation, you are in a storm, and, and, and even when you're not, even when you're not, even when everything's going good, don't you know that it's a, I mean, when, you're, when everything's going good, let me ask y'all if y'all like me. Maybe I'm just a very negative person. But like, huh? Yeah, I see. You, maybe you're not. Maybe you're a negative person too, Angelia. But like you, you're in this situation and like everything starts to go good. And in a stand, instead of saying, praise the Lord, you're like, what's coming? I, I got a little money saved in the bank. Just waiting on my truck to break down. Right? Every bump you hit, did I blow a tire? How much is a tire? $343, something like that. Just waiting on that sucker to blow because I just saved up $350, right? <laughs> right? I mean, I, I can imagine, like, even in the good times, you need the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ to know that what's coming next and what's coming is not going to break you, right? We need the sustenance and the sustaining of Jesus Christ. So, and when he writes grace and peace to you, you might think he was a nut until he wrote what was behind it. And this is what you need to understand, and it's what I need to understand. And I really needed it this week because my wife has been going to New York, and I've been with four kids all by myself, and I'm about to... I'm glad y'all saw me this morning. That's all I'm saying. I'm glad I got here. I'm glad I got here. I mean, I love my kids, but... Okay, let's keep on going. Okay, so he says, Grace to you and peace from him. From him who? From him who? He says, From him who is and who was, and who is to come. Let's stop right there. From him who is, we could just spend all day right here, right? On him who is. As a matter of fact, this should be uh, written him, no, no, from he who is. You say, what does that matter? Because it's not an impersonal him. It's he. It's he. He who sits on the throne. He. It's he. Now, this launches us back. You remember last week I told you that, that there are estimates from 75 to 95, 98% of all of Revelation is an allusion to the Old Testament. It all kind of reaches back and grabs this context that the, the Hebrew reader or the Jewish reader would have understood because they would have seen all of this. They would have, been, they would have heard all of these stories and all of these sayings as they were growing up they would have been just second knowledge to them they would have understood them but for me and you maybe not as much so real quick turn with me to exodus chapter three if you don't want to turn there that's fine i'll read it exodus chapter three now what we see here is a beautiful depiction of god the father that comes from the old testament god the great i am who is and who was and who is to come this this screams at us exodus chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 listen to what he says I'm going to start in 13. <clears throat> then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent 
me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You see, he says, I am who I am. And that, that, that word right there is called the tetragrammaton. Now, I know this is just like, he just wanted to sound smart and kind of did, but this is the name for God. They don't even know how to say this. We say it Yahweh, but, but there's no vowels in this name. It's just Y-H-W-H, if you were to transliterate into the English. Y-H-W-H. There's no, there, we just guess uh, Yahweh. We just put some uh, vowels in there and we say that. Now, the Jewish people still to this day won't say that name because the name is so powerful it's so revered and respected that they won't even say this name this name carried weight throughout all generation is the one true god who was and is and is to come right now we see him hearkening back to the god of moses who was to be remembered in this way for all generations now what are the implications of what he said to moses and what he says to the audience that he's writing to in revelation because the, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. It's about to be over. It's about, it's about to be consummated in the second coming of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about the nearness later. Because it's not so much about an amount of time. Of a, but about how we respond to the nearness and the imminence of Jesus Christ. And how we live our lives in the light of it. Okay? But now, how, what's the implications of the great I am? The Yahweh is the God that he is, this letter's coming from. You see what I'm saying? So he says, grace and peace to you from who? It's not coming just from John. It's coming from Yahweh. It's coming from he who is and who was and who is to come. Now, let's look. That we could spend all day on here, but I've just got a specific word for you today from this text in this verse. Okay. So he says here, he says, he who is and was and is to come. Now, if you notice with me that, that this is a little bit out of order. I don't know if you caught that or not, but it's out of order. Wouldn't we think it normally would be past, present, and future? Is that the order that he's written here? He said, he who is present, who was past, and who is to come, future. Now, even the who is to come is written differently than I would have expected it to be. Wouldn't it be he who was, he who is, and he who will be? But he wrote who is to come. All of these have implications. All of these have weight that it carries for John and for me and for you. Let's start with he who is. Now, this is the closest and most accurate way that we can depict Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton. This is the best way that we can understand that he is speaking, that this letter is coming from Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, our, our uh, fathers in Israel, our patriarchs. This is the God of eternity past. But it's not just the God of eternity past. It's not just the God of Abraham. It's not just the God of Isaac. But it's the God of now. You see, and when was John going to go through trials? He's already in them, isn't he? You say, are you making that up, preacher, to make the, pre make the, make the sermon preach good? No. 
I want to flip. I want to. I want you to just go down to your page a little bit and look at verse nine. We're going to skip ahead just a little bit. Listen to this. He says, "I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom." Is he say the one that's going to go into the tribulation or who's already in the tribulation? He's in it right now. Right? He's in it right now. He says, I, your brother and partner in the tribulation. Now, this is before me and you even got here. So we see that, that these things must soon take place and that these things are near or the inauguration or the beginning that these tribulations, this trials, they've already started. Now, we're going to experience more, but what we can be granted, what we can understand, and what we can be sure of is that in this present tribulation that God is. Amen? He says, grace and peace to you from Him who is. That's... We can just stop right there. The God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, He is, guys. He is. He is now. And we've already established that this is to me and to you because we are a part of the church. And seven is the indication of the full number of churches. This is an accurate representation to all God's people. And so John, who leaned back up against Jesus, who had been persecuted because of Jesus, who had went through trials and almost death and eventually death because of Jesus, writes to us that we can have grace and peace because his God is now. Your God is now. Brother Donald, your God is now. Your God is now. What you going through? You remember Romans 8? You remember Romans 8? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who is he that condemns? Who is he that condemns? It is God that justifies. God is on your side. And then he says, he who is and he who was and he who is to come. He said, this God is with you right here. And it's the same God that was back there. How was Abraham saved? Yahweh saw Abraham. Yahweh brought Moses through uh, Egypt. Yahweh was the one. But the one that was back then is right now. You see how he switched those, inverted those two around so that you might know that the God that was then is already here now. And who is to come. He's not just going to be over there. He's coming to get you right here. You see? Who is right now, the God that was back then, is coming to you. He's already here when he was there, but he's coming to get you. Everywhere you go. Remember what the Bible says, where, where will we go to escape him? If I go above, you're there. If I go below, you're there. All throughout the earth, wherever I go, you're there. You think you can hide from him, but you can't. This is, a, this, is a, this, this is just the scope of who God is. You can't get away from him in your trial. You can't get away from him in your sin. You can't get away from him in your brokenness. The second designation here is the seven spirits who are before his throne. We got to cover five verses. I mean these uh, through verse five. 
I hope that carries some weight for you who is and who was and who is to come. You don't have to worry about it. You can lay it at his feet. The same one that was then is now. And he's never going to forget you, but he's going to come for you. But the second person that it's from is the seven spirits who are before his throne. You say, the second person who it's from. He says, grace and peace to you from him who who is, who was, and is to come and... Another person from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, seven spirits. Is this seven different spirits? Hold on. Let's go back. Let's go back. What do we say about the number seven? Let's stay consistent. Wholeness, fullness, complete. So is this seven different spirits? Well, that wouldn't, that wouldn't kind of make sense with what we know about God, would it? Because he addresses many times in the book, the spirit. So quickly, turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 11. This is gorgeous how the Word of God just comes together. Isaiah chapter 11, verse, starting verse 1. I want you to check this out. Isaiah 11, starting in verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, Isaiah writes, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. Or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Oh my goodness. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is indwelt by, poured over, made much of by the Holy Spirit that is full in every way. Wisdom, the Spirit of the Lord with wisdom and might, knowledge, the fear of the Lord. You see, this isn't seven different spirits, but it's the one unique, full spirit who has everything that you could possibly need. Every corner that you turn around that you need something else and you say, well, I ain't got the money. I ain't got the understanding. I ain't got the knowledge. I ain't got, I ain't got, I ain't got. Well, you got it if you got the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit from God the Father. You see? Ain't it good? Yeah, you give God a hand because that's, that's amazing. The intricacies intricacies of the word is just, it blows my mind. This is the the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. He goes on to say that I must go. I must go. If I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit. The comforter that will teach you all things. That will show you. We we don't pay the the Spirit enough attention. I want to get to... The, the last part here. There's more I could say about the Spirit, but I'm going to come back in just a second. Verse 5 says, he, it goes on, it says, 
from him who is and who was and is to come. That's one person. That's a designation. That's a personal pronoun there. He who is. He from him. One. And from the seven spirits. That's the Holy Spirit that is the complete spirit. The only spirit. And from Jesus Christ. The faithful witness. You think that's an accident? Come get out of here. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Now, there's three designations for Jesus Christ here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to those in just a second. But I want you to see something here. We here at this church hold close-handed the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Spirit, and Son in this laying out of the Godhead. Three and one. But I don't think that the Trinity gets enough credit. It doesn't get enough recognition. We're always talking about one or the other or the other. And I think that denominationalism springs forth from an overemphasis on one, on one person of the Trinity. So we can really only talk about God the Father to the detriment of the Holy Spirit and the Christ. Or we could really just focus on Jesus Christ and, and lose sight of the Holy Spirit and God the Father. Or we can get really Pentecostal and, and focus only on the Spirit and we lose sight of God the Father and God the Son and it just gets slammed crazy up in here. Or we could put everything in its proper perspective and we know that the proclamation comes from God the Father who wills things before the foundations of the world. Jesus Christ then comes to perfectly fulfill the law of God and every, every aspect of his will. And he, and he comes to fulfill everything that needs to be done to do the work. And then the Holy Spirit comes from above as he ascends. And he, and he brings everything down to us. And he puts it all together for the glory of God and the salvation of his people. We've got to have all three. You see, this letter comes from John, but it comes from God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. When you read this letter, when we read this letter, we need to take that, we need to drink that in. We need to drink it in deeply. You see, God the Father is the one who is and who was and is to come. You know that he's always going to be there. But the same with Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says that he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Spirit is full in every way. He's able to show you and lead you and guide you. He's able to speak. The Holy Spirit speaks. And he can speak to you. Now, we can get off on a tangent on that and say, well, I have people tell me all the time, say, well, the Holy Spirit told me. Well, the Holy Spirit told me. Well, let's open up the Bible and see if it agrees. But the Holy Spirit does speak. And if you'll listen, he will speak to you. But you see, all of this is culminated in Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. And we don't have a ton of time there, but all of this harkens back to in uh, Jesus Christ is called the faithful witness. There we see that he was indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which breathes out into him, which fills him up, which causes him to be this king of kings, and it causes him to be faithful in all things. You see, the reason that we can have a relationship with God is that Jesus Christ was faithful. 
That's the only thing that sets them apart. When somebody tells you, why Jesus? Do you even know why Jesus? You worship this guy named Jesus. Do you know why? Well, he went to a cross. Lots of people have died on your behalf. In war, in many different ways. Why Jesus? Peter was, was by all accounts, crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified right side up because he wasn't worthy to die the way that his king died. That seems pretty noble. Why not Peter? Different people throughout history was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ raised the widow's son. Lazarus raised from the dead. Why not them? Why Jesus? Because he was the faithful witness. John chapter 18, verse 37. Listen to this. Pilate answered, I am a Jew. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world. What purpose is that, Jesus? To bear witness to the truth. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You see, that was his purpose, to bear witness. And was he faithful to bear the witness? Yes, he did. What does it mean to bear witness? It means he lived out God's word perfectly in every respect. He was tempted in all ways like we were, yet without sin. You see, this God, this, this king of the Jews never committed a sin. And he walked his life out faithful to the Lord, to the Lord God Almighty. He walked it out faithfully all the way to the end. And he was martyred like many others, but different from every other, for he had no sin. He was a faithful witness. And because he was a faithful witness, in Revelation it says that he was the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Listen to what it says. I want you to hold on to him being the faithful witness. Colossians 1, 18. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, the book of John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the beginning of all creation, but He is also the beginning of the new creation. He is the beginning of the new creation by His faithful witness and His death on the cross. And His death on the cross, and His burial in the grave, and His resurrection to life, and His sending of the Holy Spirit, the full and complete Holy Spirit, gives us new birth. He was the firstborn of the dead. And when he came out of the grave, it made possible mine and your birth. Mine and your birth into this realm of God, into this family of God, into the kingdom of the, of the Lord. Don't you see? 
that God the Father who is and who was and who is to come had, had declared this from the very foundations of the world that the Holy Spirit would come and would give to us and plant in us the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross as a faithful witness that he might be the firstborn of the dead. And that in the end, and even now, he would be the ruler of all the kings on the earth. I close out in this way. Roman, I mean, Psalms 89, 27. Psalm 89, 27 reads this. We all stand to our feet, please. You see, since he was the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn of the dead, he's the first fruits. Everything begins with Jesus Christ and everything will end with Jesus Christ. And Psalm 89, 27 gives a good total picture of that. It says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And John depicts him this way. He says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Thousands of years before Jesus Christ was ever born, the psalmist had already said, because he was a faithful witness, he would be the firstborn of the dead, and he would be the king over every ruler on earth he would be the king of king and the lord of lords so this morning as john writes these things to you you know that that god almighty who was who is and who was and who is to come the holy spirit who is full in every way and jesus christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and king of kings is the one that is writing the letter to you that through any trial or any tribulation, through the good and through the bad, you've got a king that cannot be overthrown. You've got the Holy Spirit that has sealed you for the day of redemption. You've got God the Father, who proclaims the beginning from the end, has already proclaimed, this is my son, this is my daughter. How do you live your life? How does this impact you guys? Let's, get, let's come back to reality now. I've just read to you the greeting of a letter that is addressed to you from the Trinitarian God of the universe. How will you respond? What will be your response? I have people tell me all the time, Oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. The reality of your belief in anything is always evidenced by your actions by your actions once you have come to believe in that thing. If I tell you right now, if I look at you and I say, Robert, if I look at you and I say, Timmy, if you go out here and you find a red Chevrolet, if you put your backside to the bumper of that Chevrolet directly in the middle and you take 58 even steps, you turn left and you take three even steps, then you turn right and you take 38 more. You dig in that spot and there's a chest right there with $1 million in it. If you find it, it's yours. No strings attached. It's yours. What will you do? You'll call me a liar. You ain't going to do nothing. But if you believe me, if I look you dead in the eye and I say, Timmy, no, I'm serious. 
I'm serious. A guy did this just for this illustration. He's a multi-billionaire, and he wanted me to make a point today. And if you go out there and you take those steps and you dig in that spot, you will find $1 million, and it is yours. What happens if you really do believe me? You take off running out the door. Or you're an idiot. Right? If you believe me, aren't you running out the door? Many, many of you say you believe. Many of you say you believe. What does your action say about your belief? The Trinitarian God of the universe, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son is writing you a letter and it's saying, these things will soon take place. The time is near. You better get ready. You better get your junk in order. And you can have grace and you can have peace even in the toughest of times, even in the best of times, that Jesus Christ will hold you level. This is what we do. We're like schizophrenic. Bipolar. That's what we do. And Jesus uses that. God uses that. But he's like, you can be steady in me. You know, I'd be cool with steady. You know, I love the good times, but man, if you could just be steady for a little while, I'd be good. I'm going to pray for us and then just respond how the Lord is calling you to respond. He's written this letter to you. What you going to do? What you going to do? Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters here at the well. I pray, God, that as we read this letter, as we continue reading this letter, we would take it serious. Knowing that Yahweh, the Holy Spirit, God the Son, this this great and wonderful God who is who is complete in every way. He didn't He didn't need us. But just in love, He just created us to worship you and to preach and teach you and to proclaim your good news to a dying and lost world. Do we even believe? I pray, Father, that it would be so, written on our hearts from the beginning of the times, God, that the Holy Spirit would come and, and that he would seal us for the day of redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, that he would make that sacrifice real in our hearts, that we would be born through the firstborn of the dead, that we would understand him to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, help us to live differently after this service. Help us to live with more urgency, God, with more dedication, with more fervor, with more passion, with more motivation. I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. I haven't done this in a while, but I want to ask today, are there any here that don't know him as king? You never met the true Trinitarian God of the Bible? You don't know who Yahweh is? The Holy Spirit's never spoken to you? Jesus Christ is not your master? He's just this guy you heard about, and yeah, I believe in him. How many of you need to be sealed for the day of redemption? Are there any here who you say, yeah, I've played the game for a little while, but God is not my God. He's just... He's just a, a, an insurance policy. Are there any here? Can we turn the lights up a little bit? I know you, you normally do all heads bowed, and I don't believe in that nonsense. Is there anybody here that, that would say, I need Jesus as my king today in front of everybody? Nobody is shamed. Nobody is shamed. Anybody here who needs him as king? Howard, you need salvation today? Come on up here, brother. Right in front of everybody. Come on, Donnie. Hey, God's changing lives right now.
He who is and who was and who is to come. From the Holy Spirit, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Anybody else in here? New life is looming. Come on up here. You can pray with us, Ben. Come on, pray with us. Anybody else in here? Come on. You've heard of Jesus. You've said something, but he's never been your God. You've never experienced new birth. I'm not going to drag it out of you. You know if you hear him calling. Stop being hard-hearted and disobedient. Who's next? You said if he says it one more time. Well, here's one more time. Which one is it? Come on. I know you're out there. Because uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, you sell your life out of Jesus Christ in a real way, it's going to get rough. But it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. There'll be trials and there'll be days where you wonder if you just need to give up. But he will sustain. The one who is and who was and who is to come. Very proud of you. Very proud of you. Anybody else this morning? Ham on these guys right here want to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've giving their lives to him so if you want to take these guys and, and break it down and see where they are that'd be amazing before they do can we pray for these guys i want you to, if you want to yeah yeah if you want to uh if you want to come up and lay a hand on them or if you just want to extend a hand wherever you are that's okay we want to we want to lovingly accept these guys into the embrace of the church, into the embrace of the fellowship of believers. Oh, and bother the hound out of them. If they're not at church next week or the week after that, go to their house. We're going to find out where they live. We're going to get telephone numbers. Y'all don't know what you just did. <laughs> Let's make sure that they know we love them, okay? We ain't going to let them go. Lift your hand this way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray over these right now, God, knowing that you have a plan, God, and that that you have freedom, Lord, and that, that you know exactly what they need, God. And I pray right now that you would that you would set this in their heart as a stone, God. That they would never even question their salvation again. I know things will get tough. I know things will get hard and they'll question. But I pray that you'd release them from the trials of the world, from the chains that bind them, from the things that hold them down and, and, and that, that tempt them and draw them away, God. That you would set them free, that they would run the race with endurance all the way to the end. I pray beyond just being saved for the day of redemption and looking for this place called heaven. But God, I pray that they would understand that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, God. 
and that you are here right now, the same one that was, and that you are coming on the clouds, God, and that they would rise up and that they would be put to work for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, knowing that they've been born to a new kingdom. They've been given a new name, God. They've been given a new purpose, a, a, a new song, God, and they would sing it, Lord Jesus. They would sing it to the top of their lungs. And when people walk by and they look at them, even in the trials, and they see them singing a song, they would say, what, what song is that you're singing? It's so beautiful. I pray that they would be warriors for Christ, that they would be, that they would be loudspeakers for the gospel, and that through them, through them, many would be set free from bondage and come to the newness of life. We pray it all in Christ's name. We pray it in Christ's name. Hallelujah and amen. And I'll give you an opportunity to respond. There may be maybe some of you who just need to, to break down in front of the Lord. To repent of some sin. There's some of you in here that's got hidden sins. And that hidden sin is like a cancer. It's like a cancer and you can feel it in your bones and you need to be set free from it. Well, the Lord that was, well, He is. And He's the one that's, that's coming. And He doesn't mind you coming and unloading on Him, okay? So come and lay all your burdens down at the foot of the cross. And let's pray for one another. And let's praise His holy name. I love you. Respond to God. You are.